Welcome to Willard Church of the Nazarene. We're glad you're here. We can't wait to share the service with you.
Father's Day. I just wanted to say it's good to be back. I wanted to, as uh, Lanny, you were talking, uh, scripture verse came to mind, 1 Corinthians one uh, seventeen. It says, for Christ did not send me to be baptized, but to preach the gospel. And, and listen to this. And not with words of eloquent wisdom, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. We're not here to look good, to sound good. Right, we're we're not here. Our focus is not, you know, we gotta we we gotta be interesting. We're here to preach Christ and to show Christ's power through our weakness. And I'm glad we have some people that are that aren't exactly perfect that come up are willing to come up because that's what stops us oftentimes from coming up here, from stepping out and serving. It's because we think, well, well, I'm not good at that, or, or I'm not the best one for that. But when that stops us, that limits Christ's power in our weakness. So step up, 
right? If God calls you, he'll enable you. Yeah, you're going to be awkward at first. My, you should see my first sermon. Holy smokes. I stood up here and was going like this the whole time. It was bad. It was really bad, right? Uh, but Christ has matured me. I still have a long ways to go. I never want to be interesting. I, I want to not empty the cross of its power, right? I want to be faithful to what he calls us to do. I want to be weak in him. But just wanted to share that. Also, too, if you didn't see my post on Facebook about Father's Day, uh, let me just tell you something, dads. You're important. You are important. Our society says you're not. Our society says you're, a, you're an idiot. You're a, you're a drunken buffoon, right? Our, our society can't even define what a dad is. But I'm here to tell you that you're important, extremely important. Let me read some statistics for you. 63% of youth suicides are from fatherless homes. 90% of all runaway children are from fatherless homes. 90%. 85% of all children with behavioral struggles, fatherless homes. 71% of high school, 71% of high school dropouts. 75% of added adolescents with chemical abuse problems. 85% of all of us in prisons are from fatherless homes. If you look at the African-American community, in the 50s and 60s, lowest incarceration rate. Lowest incarceration rate, highest percentage of dads in the homes. You look at that today, it's done that. right? And that's not just an African-American problem as a problem in America today. Dads are gone. Dads are absent. Maybe dads are in the home, right? But they're just absent. And you got to realize your role as a father. Moms, you're the nurturers, right? You're great in those first few years, especially. You're to nurture those kids. Dads, you come along though a little bit later and, and you provide help in decision-making. And that's why so many people, that's why our country is going the way it is because we don't have dads helping out with decision making and we're doing all sorts of stupid things. Dads, man, one of the best things that you can do is to be in church and bring your kids to church, right? The, the, the best statistic I could find for for indicators of if kids will grow up in the church and stay up in the church and attend church when they get older is, is that if a dad does it, 18, uh, if a dad does it, then 60% of those kids will do it. If mom and dad does it, 75% will do it. If a dad isn't doing it, the best statistic I could find was 18% of kids will find their way. The worst statistic was 2%. You're important. Be in church. Don't let anything... Actually, don't be in church. Be a part of the church. Right? Be a part of the church. Set that example. Include God in your homes and in every part of your life. Right? There's nothing you can do better for your kids. There's nothing you can do better for your kids than to set that example. Well, today we are going to be in Jeremiah... 29, Jeremiah 29. And when I say uh, Happy Father's Day to you, let me say Happy Father's Day, not just to the biological dads, right? But to the men who act like fathers for, for people too. We include you. We love you. We appreciate you. I see men who, who don't have kids of their own, but are raising, are being that example for kids. And, and let me say this about, to you, I said this in the post, if you're a mom and you don't have the dad in your life, there's still hope, Right? My dad was kind of non-existent growing up, and, and I still made it, right? You can do it. God is a God who does amazing things, right? You just, you just depend on him and, and, and depend on that, his abilities. Jeremiah chapter 29, we're going to be looking at one of the most often quoted, highlighted verses in the Bible. I also think it's probably the one that we least understand, Maybe we just don't understand, I guess, the big picture of it. And I'm talking about Jeremiah 29, 11. How many of you have that memorized? Yeah, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, right? Plans to prosper you, not to harm you. Plans to give you a hope 
in a future. Great verse, right? Great verse. People are familiar with it. People are posting it. You can buy stuff with it, print it on it, and everything like that. But do you understand the context of it? I almost wanted to do a Bible series on, on most misunderstood or under-understood, if that is a word, verses in the Bible. This would probably be the, I'm starting off with probably the best one, so I can't do that series now because that would like the lead to the best. But this one, um, the stuff around it speaks volumes to this and makes it even better, makes it speak even more. So Jeremiah chapter 29, beginning at verse 1, we're going to read the entire part of this because that's what you have to do when you study Scripture. You can't just pull out a verse. You have to understand it. You have to understand the context. You have to understand the verses around it. Jeremiah 29, beginning at verse 1, the year is 597 B.C., so it's over 2,600 years ago. This is what it says. This is the text of the letter that the prophet Jeremiah sent from Jerusalem to the surviving elders among the exiles and to the priests. The prophets and all the other people Nebuchadnezzar had carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. This was after King Jehoiakim and the queen mother, the court officials and the leaders of Judah and Jerusalem, the skilled workers and the artisans had gone into exile from Jerusalem. He entrusted the letter to Elisa, son of Shaphim, and to Jeremiah, son of, son of Hilkiah, whom Zedekiah, king of Judah, sent to King Nebuchadnezzar in Babylon. So this is all the biographical information that starts off and gives us an understanding of the context uh, of the circumstances that were taking place. This isn't a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away, right? This isn't a tale. This is a story. This is an account. These are real people. This lines up with a real history rooted in events that actually took place. So the, the prophet Jeremiah is the one who sends the letter to a bunch of people that were conquered, that were taken captive from Jerusalem to Babylon under Nebuchadnezzar, King Nebuchadnezzar, King of Babylon. Babylon was the superpower, the superpower at this time, reigning over the world. And what Babylon would do is Babylon would look at a nation and look at expanding its empire and he would send letters to them saying, hey, either you become a vassal state and put yourself under us and join our empire or or we're going to wipe you out. We're going to come in and and conquer you. And of course, a, a bunch of them would reject that and so Babylon would do just that. They would come in, conquer nation after nation after nation. And when they did this, they had this interesting thing that they would do with the people there. And it really helped them to expand their kingdom. They would take the best and the brightest from that land, and they would assimilate them. They would bring them in, carry them back to Babylon. They would leave the weaker people, the older people to farm and to run the country. And of course, they would put heavy taxes on this nation that was left off with this puppet king that was put into place. And that's how they would expand their empire. They took the best and the brightest, and then they subjugated the rest and said, hey, you, you pay for everything. Send us your money. So cream of the crop were there. If you read the book of Daniel, you see this, right? We see Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, all young people the best and the brightest, and they were put into positions of authority, positions of leadership. And that's how this King Nebuchadnezzar grew his kingdom. The situation for these people, though, whether they were taken away or whether they were left behind, wasn't good. It must have felt hopeless. Imagine you're a teenager ripped from your family. Imagine probably your family might even be dead, especially your father, and you're taken away to this other land, to this completely different culture. Or either that, you're you're left behind in this war-torn country that's just been decimated. If If you read the book of Lamentations, it's also written by this prophet Jeremiah. It's a hard book to read. Uh, filled with some horrible things. People are starving to death. People are turning to eating their kids to survive. And Jeremiah writes to them, trying to minister to the people that that are left, the people that are in captivity. 
Back to verse 4. This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel says. Notice this isn't Jeremiah's idea. This isn't his opinion, what he's speaking in this situation. It's not his words. This is the word of the Lord Almighty to their situation. The God of Israel says to all those I carried into exile. Uh Uh-oh. To all those I carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. We, We got a problem, don't we? Because this terrible situation... This thing that's happened, God's saying, this is me. I'm the one who caused this. I carried you into exile. I'm working in these events. So we have to understand a little bit about why, right? Because isn't that what we wonder? Why would God allow that to happen? Why why would God choose to let this happen? But we we have to understand Right, right from the beginning when God established this nation of Israel through his servant Moses and then through Joshua after him, God t- told the people, as long as you walk with me, as long as you follow me, there is not a nation on this earth who will be able to come up against you. In fact, wherever you put your foot, right, I'll give you that land. And we see that carried out, right? We see this little small nation taking and capturing and defeating much larger nations. We see this small nation march seven times around this great walled city, and the walls just happen to fall in, and they conquer this nation. That's what we see. But then he says, but if you turn away from me, if you put other things in front of me, if you reject things, if you reject me, if you make things more important than me, if you become like all the other people around you, worshiping idols, then my hand of protection will be taken back, right? And once that happens, other nations will be able to come in and conquer you. That was the understanding. God cautioned them. They knew this. They knew this going in, right? Even when it started happening, he sent prophets to them. Hey, you're doing it wrong. Turn. Repent. Stop going down this direction. He sends the prophet Elijah. He sends the prophet Elijah. He sends other prophets up until 722 when the northern part of Israel was attacked and conquered and taken captive by the Assyrians. You would think that would have been a wake-up call. You would think 9-11 would have been a wake-up call, right? The northern parts conquered. The, you have the prophets' warnings, but they still refused to turn back and follow God. They broke the first and the greatest commandment to love the Lord with everything. They rejected God's ways. They also didn't keep the Sabbath, which if you understand it goes hand in hand with the first commandment. The Sabbath, taking a day off, it's a way that you can show God you trust Him. It's a day that you can reconnect with Him. It's a day that you can put Him first. By taking one day every week, taking a day not to focus in on your career and making money, And just put him first. And by doing that, show him his importance in your life. You can show that you care about him more than all the other things in this world. It's a day that God gave you, right? So that you can rest. So that you can reconnect with family, with him. But it's a day that we reject oftentimes. And we spend it working We fail to get that reset. Medical study after medical study tells us that your body needs a reset day once a week. We were at a a, a pastor's conference and they invited this person who was the head of the Arizona uh, hospital, the the university hospital there. And he says, listen, your body needs us. And he showed us EKGs and everything like that and how they kept increasing. And he said, if you don't get that reset, right, your body's going to give you a reset in the form of a heart attack. That's just what's going to happen. That's what the people were doing, though. They were rejecting God. They were rejecting his ideas. They were just working every day, ignoring the Sabbath. If you think about it, it's idolatry that will keep you from not resting. And it's in not resting that will lead you to idolatry. 
They go hand in hand. That's what happened for 490 years. 490 years. That's longer than we've been a nation, right? 490 years. You, you have to understand, people. God's not in a hurry to condemn, to take his hand off, right? He let this go on. We think he's just waiting for us to mess up so that he can just throw the lightning bolts at us. He's not. He's slow to anger. He's 490 years slow to anger to these people. He sends the prophets. He tells them, hey, don't do this. He lets part of the nation get captured, hoping it'll be a wake-up sign. But they keep ignoring it. This was a slow process, a slow slide, a slow decline. And all along the way, there were warning signs. Quit going this way. But they were pushed to the side. The people knew. But they thought, I'm just going to keep on doing what I want to do. Don't miss this. Or don't think that this doesn't speak to some of the paths that we're on right now today. Especially as a nation. But in our own personal life as well. We know what God's Word says. We know that God is telling us to turn around. But we who are on these paths, we ignore it. And we keep going the way we are going because He's not punishing us at this moment because He's slow to anger. He's hoping that we'll come to the place where we listen to His Word, where we listen to that preacher, where we listen to that song, where we listen to that person in our lives. But all too often, no, we'll just keep doing it our way. We'll just keep doing what we want to do. And one day, my friends, a correction will come. Either that or he does not love us. He does not care about us. Only a parent that doesn't care about you will not correct you. But that's why God was up front with them, saying, this captivity I caused to happen because I told you this would come. I warned you, but you didn't obey. You didn't listen, so I had to do this in order to correct you. Hear me, right? Hear me today. If you're on this path, turn. Turn from it. Maybe some of us has already experienced the correction, but for some it's coming. And I don't want us to be like, why is God doing this? Why is God allowing this to happen? Maybe it's because we keep ignoring him. Be careful. We can ignore what God's word says for our marriages, right? We can let them be ground into dust. We can ignore what God's word says and how we are to treat our spouses. We can ignore what God's word says and how we're supposed to approach money. We can ignore God's word and how it says that we're to treat our neighbors. Let's just not be surprised when our actions take us out of God's will. Not saying that every situation where something comes against you is a, a matter of that or anything like that, but let's just not be surprised when we constantly ignore God and what He tells us, and then these things happen to correct us. All right, notice the colon at the end of verse 4. Think of this as a transition to where God says, This is what happened, to now, this is what you should do now. And I love that we serve a God that does correct us, right? Any parent knows you correct your kids because they're heading down a path and you know where that path leads and they need to be corrected before they get there, right? That's what a loving parent does. But here's what God also does is he doesn't abandon us when we do keep going, right? How many, of, how many times have I kept going down that path even though he's saying, telling me to turn? And every time though, he's still there. And he tells me how to get out of it what I need to do, what's going to happen. He's there with me. He's there with you. He has not abandoned us. He continues to guide us. Verse 5, 
This is God saying this, build houses and settle down, plant gardens and eat what they produce, marry and have sons and daughters, find wives for your sons and give daughters in marriage so that they too may have sons and daughters. Increase in number there, do not decrease. Also, seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, you too will prosper. Yes, this is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel says. Do not let the prophets and diviners among you deceive you. Do not listen to the dreams you encourage them to have. They are prophesying lies to you in my name. I have not sent them, declares the Lord. At this time, And in all times, there are false prophets. There are people who call themselves prophets that tell you what you want to hear. And you have to ignore them. These these people were taken into captivity. And these false prophets came and started to tell the people what they wanted to hear. Hey, don't worry. God's going to get you out of this real soon. Don't unpack, right? Because he's going to get you out of this. We're going back. We're going back soon to Jerusalem. Don't settle down. It's coming. God's not going to let you stay here. Don't worry about it. And then Jeremiah comes, though, with the truth, with the things that the people don't want to hear. These people are liars, right? Don't listen to them. He stood in opposition to that popular message, and he told people the truth, even though they wouldn't want to hear it. The truth, verse 10, this is what the Lord says. When 70 years are completed, how long are they going to be there? 70 years. When 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will come to you and fulfill my good promise to bring you back to this place. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you a hope and a future. Then you will call on me and come and pray to me and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your hearts. I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and will bring you back from captivity. I will gather you from all the nations and places where I've banished you, declared the Lord, and will bring you back to the place from which I carried you into exile. This is the context of this verse. This often quoted verse. The people blew it. They were going to be stuck with these consequences. And maybe some of us can relate. Maybe there's some dads in here. And you're just in a place where, man, you realize, man, I blew it. I blew it with my kids. I blew it with my spouse. I think we all have regrets in our lives. Things that we wish we could take a mulligan for, right? That's the best thing in golf, a mulligan. There are things that the older me wishes they could, that I could tell the younger me, right? Looking at pornography for the first time, don't do it. Get away from that. You don't realize the bondage that, that that's, that that's going to put you into. Young people, steer clear of that. I know it's popular today. I know it's readily available to you today. But do everything you can to steer clear of that. Avoid it. Trust me, right? I have regrets about not cherishing moments with my wife and kids early on. What I spent time on was so dumb compared to what I could have spent time with. I don't think moms make this mistake, but sometimes I think dads, we we can't wait till our little kids grow up so that we can do things with them. And sometimes I think we're in too much of a hurry to see them grow up and we, we miss out on spending that time just alone with them. Or if you're a dad like me, you can't wait to get on vacation, right? You're looking ahead to that vacation and how much fun your family's going to have. And then a road bump comes and then something happens, right? And so all of a sudden then you start getting a little bit mad, a little bit agitated, and then the wheels come off and then you're grumpy, right? We got to get to this stinking vacation so we can have a good time, (laughs) right? And you end up ruining part of the trip. I love that episode of Everybody Loves Raymond, probably dating myself a little bit, but he's waiting on his wife. 
I think they're going to some kind of event or some kind of reunion, right? And he said, we, we have to leave by this time and this time comes and goes. And so he ends up just leaving his wife, right? And he goes to the event, if you saw that episode, right? And when he comes home, he finds his wife upstairs with a curling iron stuck in her hair. She couldn't get it out. Yeah, sometimes that's me. Super agitated about stupid things that end up ruining good things. Who cares if you're a little late, right? I wish I could take some mulligans. There's a lot of things in life that I wish I could take some mulligans. Sometimes I just look at my kids and, and I think, man, I could have done better. The mistakes that I made, the times that I could have just spent more time with them, I, I really learned the value of that with COVID and how much of a blessing that was. Every conversation now about my kids moving out is depressing to me. Allows me to rethink so many moments with them. These people have a constant reminder, though. Constant reminder because they've been taken off and they're living in this new land, this new culture, this new home that's completely different. Many of them will never go back. Most of them, if not all of them, will never go back. We'll never get to see their families again. Every day that they wake up, it's a reminder. It's a reminder that they blew it. There's an interesting medical study about our homes. Most of us can navigate our homes in the dark, right? We're, we're so familiar with everything. What, what happens when that familiarity goes away? When you go and spend the night at a hotel or a different place or, or maybe something gets rearranged and you, you wake up and you, you found that things aren't as they were. There's these trace cells in your hippocampus that start to fire and they fire the more that our orientation does not match our expectations And when these trace things start to fire in our cells, it actually causes us to feel distress. In a way, it's very similar to grief. You have this situation where everything's been the same for these years and years and years, and then somebody passes, though, and everything changes, right? Every day you wake up, it's different. And you experience this duress or or something actually very similar to depression. If you can relate to those feelings to what I'm talking about, then you understand what these people are going through. And what's worse is, it's all their fault. They chose to ignore God. Week in, week out. Continually. They had opportunities. They had 490 years of opportunities to turn, but they kept going. You can get a sense of what they're feeling because we have Psalm 137. This was their response to this. It said that they just sat by the rivers of Babylon, sitting there and weeping, remembering Zion, longing for their homes, longing for how it used to be. And then at one point it says that they just hung up their harps. They gave up. You ever come to a place or a season in your life where you just hang up your harp. Do you know what I mean? It's that sickening feeling when you wake up in the morning because of what's happened or what's happening. Home isn't home. And again, for them, it's because they blew it. This is the prodigal son coming to the place where he wakes up and realizes, hey, I wasted everything on stupid things. You ever wake up with that realization? how everything he had, he blew it, and now he's stuck in this foreign land, right? And he comes to the place where he says, I'm no longer worthy to be even called your son. That's the place where these people are at. That's his new normal. That's these people's new normal. My friends, in a sense, we're all living in exile right now, right? This doesn't feel like our home. The more crazy that our country gets, right? Where is America? Where is this godly nation? We, we, we long for a, a different world that we know in our hearts that we should have from knowing Christ, right? A, a world without sin, a world without pain, 
a world without disease, a world without tears, right? A world where we can walk face to face with God. That's what we long for, but we live in this broken world right now. So what do we do? What do you do when you find yourself in this? Well, the scripture gives us ideas, right? Number one, build up your anticipation. Number one, if you're taking notes, build up your anticipation. Anticipate what God has planned for your future. To these captives, they think that their best days are behind them. They think that there's no way they're ever going to get back to the good days. But what does God say? For I know the plans I have for you, right? Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you a hope, right, and a future. Church, that's God saying that. Those are God's words. That's how he's thinking. Man, I tell you what, I am really bad at coming up with God's thought processes. I am really bad at determining what God is thinking. I'm usually wrong. And it's passages like this that correct me. Have you ever had those thoughts about this is what God must be thinking? We assume he's mad at us, right? We assume he's just waiting to judge us. He's just waiting to throw the lightning bolts. He's just waiting to punish us. But look at what this says. Some of us need to hear this straight out of the mouth of God because that's where it comes from. For I know the plans I have for you, plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope. Are you hopeless? Do you see no future? Because he's got plans for a future for you. You are a beloved child of his. Your name is written on the palm of his hand. And he tells you how he's thinking of us when we blew it. This is his thought process. When we blow it. He doesn't have plans to harm you. There's no plans for evil. What kind of parent would do that? But plans to give you hope in a future. Do you need that? Number one, anticipate the future. What he has planned for you. Number two, accept where you are though. A big part of the grief process is to stop fighting and accept it. Take a hard look at your reality Take a hard look at what got you here, maybe in the situation that you're in. Take a hard look at why you're now grieving. In some ways, we try and shift the blame when we screw up. Let's just own it, right? The more time we spend trying to spin it, trying to run from it, could be time that we just accept it and move on from it. Hey, this is what it is. The false prophets are going to come into your life denying reality. Hey, we're going back. This isn't real. This isn't happening. Jeremiah says it is happening, though. And you're here now. This is your home. You made your bed. This is what what your decisions have led to. Accept it, but accept it with hope. Right? Accept it with hope. Here's what we need to hear. You'll get through this. It's not going to be painless, right? It'll be painful. It won't be quick, but God can use this mess for your good. In the meantime, don't be foolish. Don't be naive, but also don't despair. There's hope. Accept it with hope. Realize that that you still have choices to make no matter what. From where you go from here, you could literally be put into prison, right? I had a time where I thought I was going to prison, and I thought about what that would mean, and and at first the thought was hopelessness, but then I'm like, you know what? God can still use me there. Good can still come from it. You still have choices with what you can be an influence for, right? You still have choices how you can influence other people. You can be a witness. You can be a source of encouragement. You can choose to be kind, You can pray for other people. God wants them to see that they still have choices. That's why he says, build a house, settle down, plant gardens, and eat what they produce. Marry and have kids. Why does he tell them this? Because oftentimes when we're in these situations, we tend to focus in on what we can't do. Look at how my life is right now. I'm stuck. Look at what we've lost. Look at what I've given up. 
When that's our focus, we stay right there, though, in a hopeless place. When instead we can look at what we can do, no matter how small it is, right? When we do that, our situation will begin to change and we'll find hope and and a peace that comes from him. Verse 7 says, Seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I've carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it. Because if it prospers, you too will prosper. Pray for Babylon? Pray for the enemies? What do you mean? I want to go back to Jerusalem. Jerusalem means the city of peace, right? I want shalom. I want wholeness. Well, if I can't be in the city of peace, maybe I can bring some peace to the city I'm in. We are in a broken world. We are in a broken America. And God knows this nation's getting crazier every day. We're stuck here. We long for God's kingdom. But until we get there, right, why not be ambassadors for heaven in this land? Pray for Babylon. Pray for America. Don't just sit around moping and depressed about what's happening. We can collectively be light in this dark world. The darker this country gets, the more I see my purpose. The more I see while I'm still here. The more I see this church's purpose, the darker this community gets when things happen like drug addictions, people stealing stuff going on right now, the more I see why we're here. We're called to be light. We're called to influence our Babylon and to shine this light of this king of shalom. You know what one of your best witnesses is? It's just experiencing God's peace no matter what's going on. People see that. Christians running around going crazy right now, just fighting everybody. That's not what we're called to be. We've got the peace of Christ. Gas goes to five bucks. I can't change that. Right? I'll trust God to provide. I'll trust God to show me people to help. Right? What if next week we all bring in some gas cards? Because God knows there's people that need help money, help with gas right now. What if we just bring them in there and put them back there and somebody can take them if they need it? Somebody could take one and give it to somebody that needs gas money during these crazy times. What a blessing that would be to be a part of that. Let's not be all crazy. Let's trust God. Number three, we need audacity and grit. The people that this was spoken to that were taken into captivity, they aren't going anywhere for 70 years. When you, when you speak that verse and quote it to other people, that's behind this, right? When 70 years are completed, I will come to you and fulfill my good promise to bring you back. People hearing this are literally going to die here. Not many are going to make it through this. It takes audacity and grit in that day to say, I probably won't see that day of freedom, but you know what? My kids will. Their kids will, right? Future generations will see this. And because of that, I'm going to act in such a way that sets them up for future generations to follow Christ so that they don't have to experience this. My choices right now can impact the generations to come. And that's why I'll do it. Yeah, I'm not going to see it, but my kids will. You hearing me, dads? You hearing me, grandfathers? You hear me, men, ladies, moms? That's legacy. That's vision. That's following through. It takes audacity to believe that I can set a better path for my kids because of the choices I make right now in whatever situation that I'm in. I'm going to be at church every opportunity I can, right? That's a choice. No, correction, right? No, I'm going to be a part of the church at every opportunity that allows me to be, right? I'm going to be in the Word. I'm going to be on my knees 
praying for my spouse, praying for my kids, praying for their kids and their kids and their kids that I'll never even meet. The way we face our skeletons in our closets, right? We can continue to hide them and pass them down. Or we can face them with the chain-breaking, shattering power of the blood of Jesus Christ. It can send spiritual shockwaves through our grandchildren's grandchildren. My grandmother that I never met OD'd, died. My uncle OD'd, died. My aunt OD'd, died. I have so many people in my family who are addicted to drugs. My father drank himself to death. The blood of Jesus Christ broke that cycle, though, starting with my mom. Starting with her decision to follow Christ. And that will echo through me and through my kids. A curse broken by the blood of Jesus Christ. By a commitment to follow him. We're going to be doing baptisms next week. I can't wait for that. That's a public declaration that I'm going to follow Christ with my life. Right? I stole an idea from Russ. Russ brought back water from the Jordan River. I ordered water from the Jordan River. So those of you who are going to be baptized, I'm going to baptize you with some of that and some Howdy Lakes good stuff. Right? <laughs> but what a decision to make that can impact future generations. And I'm not just talking about, yeah, you get baptized and then you just do your own thing. No, I'm talking about you get baptized and you determine to live your life for Christ, to follow Christ with everything that you have. That will echo through generations. The most important thing you can do, dads, moms, is determine to follow Christ with everything. It's more, though, than just going to church. It's, I feel like I'm fighting to get people to go to church. But it's so much more than that. It's give your life to Christ 100%. That's the call. Here, verse 12 again. Then you will call on me when you come and pray to me, and I will listen to you. You will seek me. You will seek me and find me when? When you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord. I will bring you back from captivity. I will gather you from all the nations and places where I've banished you, declares the Lord. And I will bring you back to the place from which I carried you into exile. Some of you just want to give a little bit to God. Whatever's comfortable. Whatever's easy. Some little portion of your life. You just want to come to church when it's convenient, when it's easy. Or I'll give, the, I'll give God the leftovers of my life and my time, of my money. If that's you, I bet there's a part of you that wonders, is God even real? Is what I believe even true? Maybe you're wondering why you don't experience God like they did in here. Wondering if maybe he's changed. You know, some Christianity believes that God changes. He's not the same as he was. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. Dads, what if we did that? You want to you turn the na- the, our nation around? Dads, do this one thing. It'll have a bigger impact than anything else. What if instead of spending five or 15 minutes alone with time with God, you just spent time until you encountered him? Until he filled you? Until he convicted you? What if we lived on his time frame instead of our own? What if we put in a lot of effort? What if we truly wanted to love him and to grow in that love for him and to seek after him? What would that mean for our kids? Gosh dang it. What would that mean for our kids? 
What would that mean for our families? Dads, what would our legacy be? Well, James, I don't know how to do that. You know, I'm not sure how to do that. You're a dad. You're good at figuring out stuff, right? You don't know how to fix a sink or do something on your car. I'm sure you're looking at YouTube or going to somebody else and you're figuring it out because that's what dads do. Don't you dare give me the excuse that you don't know how to seek God with all your heart. Figure it out. Get in the word. Spend time. Be a part of the church. There's Sunday school classes. There's Wednesday night classes. You have people in here that would love to pour into you, would love to stand by you. Don't give me that excuse. Seek him with everything. And I don't care if you screwed up. I don't care if you've been screwing it up up until this point. It's where you go from here. It's what you choose to do from here. We all wish for mulligans, but we're not getting any. Be encouraged, though. He has good plans for you. Not plans to harm you. Quit with that line of thinking. Plans to prosper you. Plans to give you a hope and a peace. But you have to seek him with your entire heart. Then you'll find him. Where is he? Where is God? Seek him with your entire heart and you'll find out. Would you stand with me? Where do you go from here? I can't answer that for you. But I will tell you this, what you choose will echo through generations. You put it off until later, that will echo. You fail to confront skeletons, that will echo. You fail to seek God, that will echo. Through your kids, through their kids. For generations to come. But if you seek Him, if you put Him first in everything, if you claim the blood of Jesus Christ to break bondages that are in your life, if you spend time in His Word, if you spend time on your knees, my friends, that will echo as well. That's what we're called to do. Seek him first. Give him your life. You won't be giving up anything better than what you'll get. And young people, if you do this from an early age, my goodness, what will God do with your life? I don't know. But I guarantee you it'll be fantastic. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for today. Lord, I pray that everybody in here would make a decision one way or the other. Father, I pray that our decision would be to put you first in every aspect of our life. I pray that we would put our lives around you. We would not try to fit you into our lives, into the small places. No, we would reorientate our entire life around you and your schedule and what you have. And Father, I pray that that would echo through us to our kids' kids. Even if they're not living with us, Lord, even if we think it's too late, would you show us that you are the God who does impossible things? Lord, we give you those kids right now that have had said no to you, that have rejected you. We know that they're not beyond you. Father, we pray that you would put people into their lives that would speak your truth. We pray that you'd give us opportunities, Lord, as well. Lord, give us opportunities to to share your goodness to everyone that we come into contact with. Let us tell them about this great Father that we have. Father, I pray for the dads in here. Give us audacity. Give us hope. Give us grit. Lord, 
Let us choose every day to follow you. Let us not be caught up in shame or, or, or thinking about all the things we've screwed up. Let's just trust you on where we go from here. Let's accept it, Lord, and move on in you. Lord, we just love you and we give you all praise. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen.